So, debt defeated. We're going to take four, uh, five weeks, and we're going to kind of look at leading up to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, Holy Day, whatever you want to call it, um, this, this different look of, as Christians, our view, and not, it's not necessarily just a view on death. It is the view of what his death means to us. It, you know, a lot of times I think that we can, we can look at, we can talk about Resurrection Sunday. We can talk about Easter just like we do with Christmas, and we can make it just kind of this, ah, it is what it is. You know, it is, it's just, you know, oh yeah, it's the day that Jesus died on the cross and and was raised from the dead. And we just, it's become commonplace to where we don't really let that, that power of Jesus and what he did for us sink in. Like he, he died, like he died for my sake. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at a few scriptures this morning. Uh, the first one we're going to look at is kind of like the uh, scripture for all of five weeks. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57. It says this, Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful statement, scripture. Death, where is your sting? You don't have the power that you think you do. And I think a lot of times as Christians, and and, and I'll be the first one to admit it, when I start thinking about death, it gets a little, it gets a little weird. I guess I, I, and I think it's more because I think of like what forever feels like. So I'm like, ah, my brain can't comprehend it. And so it just goes into like freak out mode, like, you know, reset, 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 reset. Like I can't understand, you know, the numbers don't line up. But there's a part of me that realizes and is extremely joyful in the simple fact that I don't have to taste death for what we see it as. I will never have to fear the darkness or, or what the Bible describes as hell. As a believer, I am assured of a better forever and a better life eternally because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, I would say this. I think we all love a good underdog story, right? I mean, it's just, it's, I think it's innate in us to love the underdog. Unless you're like, unless your team isn't the underdog, Like, during the seven years where Tom Brady was doing nothing but winning for the Patriots, if you're a Patriots fan, you hated the underdog. You're like, they knew, you knew they were coming for you. If you're a Lakers fan back in the 70s, you hate, if you were a a, uh, uh, Yankees fan, if you were a Cowboys fan in the 90s, those were the glory days. Oh, I miss my childhood when my team won. (laughs) Um, But, you know, unless you were a part of the championship team, everybody rooted for the underdog. Right now is March Madness. Many of you, if you're playing brackets, your brackets got busted because some unknown college called St. Peter's decided that they were going to be the man during March Madness. 15 ranked, beat the number two seed, then went on in the next round and beat the next team. They're still in it. They're like, ha-ha, watch us go. They're a little engine that could. 
Someone, we, we love the underdog story because it's someone who rises from obscurity, from nothingness or underprivileged to challenge the champion, the popular, and the gifted. To overcome great odds and rise to the occasion. We love movies like The Sandlot, right? Where we learned about what a pickle was. We all wanted the PF flyers and run from a gigantic dog. Maybe not that last part. Remember the Titans? Okay, we, we all started to learn the, as they ran out onto the field. You know nobody ever did that in real life. Movies are fake. It was based off of a true story, but that, that, that was fake. But we loved it. You know, when they, strong side, right side. You know, we just, we, we get into it like, yeah. Rocky, little guy from Philadelphia running up the stairs, right? We just love it. The water boy, who doesn't, <laughs> who doesn't get behind Bobby Boucher, right? H2O is better. We all rooted for H2O for a moment. Then we realize it has no flavor and Gatorade really is better. But, you know, it is what it is. Unless you've got like this gigantic, you know, weight that you can drink water from. And, uh, and so, but, but we have these underdog, right? Even, even stupid stories like Bobby Boucher and Waterboy. We're like, yeah. Like, we, we just, we love it. We eat it up. We just, we enjoy the underdog story. I think the reason why is because we value the redemption story in life. We love the redeeming aspect of humanity in any scenario. When we can see somebody who has gone from bad to great, when we've seen somebody who's gone from nothingness in the background, nobody cares about them, to making a difference, we cheer on the redemption story. And that is what Easter is all about. It is about the greatest redemption story ever. It's the redemption story of me and you. It's the redemption story of our life. It's the redemption of how God wants to use us in a way that we never could have dreamed or imagined as we grow up in life. I love this, this, I, this thought of, of uh, Easter, which is his death defeated sin and his resurrection defeated death. He couldn't just skip to the, always a lot of construction, right? You know, you see those on Instagram and TikTok and it's like, you know, it's always a lot of construction ones where it's, you know, they're putting up studs and it's like, can we skip to the good part? And it's all done and yeah, there's no cussing involved and beating your husband with a paintbrush and all of that. Just skip to the good part where it's all done and nice and pretty. And we, and we like to skip to the good part of Resurrection Sunday, which is the fact that he came out of the grave with glowing whiteness and, and angels singing hallelujah and all of these great things. But the reality is, is there is an in-between part that happened. It's the part we don't like to think about. It's the part where he's beaten literally to death for our sake. He's literally, his beard was ripped out. He had patches of skin missing 39, like, I always like to just visualize for a moment during the Easter holiday at some point what he really went through. Because I think it just brings a, a sobering aspect to the fact that he did this for me. Like he saw my face up there on the cross at some point. Because he, he could have easily, he even says that when he, when he is uh, uh, in the desert for 40 days with, with Satan, I could, Satan says you could easily call 10,000 angels to protect you. But it was you that, it wasn't, it wasn't the nails, and, and as cheesy as it sounds, it was you that held him on the cross. Because without him going to the cross, without his sacrifice, then there is no real relationship between us and God. We are bound by the law, and the law 
is dangerous. There's a lot of things that, that we would have to do just to, just to ink close to God's glory and goodness. We would not be able to do church like we do it today. We would not be able to uh, feel his presence like we feel it today. His, his entire heartbeat is for us to be connected to him. John 3.16, another scripture that I think that we, we, we hear a lot or we've heard a lot in life, and so we kind of skip over the, the power of this scripture. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Love is more than mere affection or vote of approval. Right? I love Dr. Pepper. That is a vote of approval. It doesn't mean everybody has to love Dr. Pepper. You're weird if you don't, but it's okay. I work with a guy that every time we go out to lunch, he orders unsweet tea. I'm flabbergasted in the South that they even allow that. It's like, I'll take unsweet tea. I'm like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong? What? Unsweet tea. Sweet tea. Listen, if you're going to have tea, just have it sweet. It's okay. It's okay. God will forgive you. But it's this idea that, that love is this a vote of approval. Or it's mere affection. I love my wife. But, but a lot of our, our humanity of what we view love as always has conditions to it, right? When I say I love my wife, it's, it's because we've lived life enough together where I know that, that she loves me in return and that, that we, we, we give and take in our relationship to create that love. I love Dr. Pepper because it tastes good. I love cookies and cream ice cream because it tastes good. It's why I don't say things like, I love kale. I don't like it because it doesn't taste good. And so I don't love it. I don't like it. I don't want anything of it. It's like green eggs and ham. No, thank you. No, thank you, Sam, I am. So I can't say I love it. And when we get to God, we have a hard understanding of for God so loved the world because we have it through our viewpoint of what love is. So I want to give you a couple of thoughts uh, this morning. And the first one is this. Really simple. God gave. God gave. The the very first part of John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he he gave. God, and, and here's the thing. It wasn't even just about him giving his son. God gave from the beginning of the scriptures. In Genesis, the Bible says that he formed man in his image. He gave us his looks. And then it says that he breathed his life into us. So God literally gave us his life through his breath, through the first Adam. And through the second Adam, which the Bible says is Jesus, he gave us himself. He gave of his own lineage. He gave his one and only son. See, God has always set the example of giving and sacrifice. You can't outgive God. In anything, whether it's finances, your time, your energy, your strength, your thought process, that you cannot outgive God. There's just not a possibility. I challenge you, try it. <laughs> try to outgive God in something. And it's not gonna work, but you're gonna feel really great because you're gonna be cl- close to Him and plugging into His person. See, there was a value in the gift that God gave us, there's a value. There was a value. I mean, every time you breathe in, (laughs) how many like breath? We value that. We like that. Go ahead and hold, try to hold your breath for like three minutes and see if you don't value that next breath. 
Right? Anybody ever been in the pool and you're, you know, I'm going to see how long I can hold my breath. And you put your, and you hold down and you're like getting to like 30 seconds. And you're like, you start to feel that, that weird, uh, your body needs something feeling. Yeah. You start to value. And here's the thing. I'm not, science is not my strong suit. So like, don't ever ask me a ton of science questions. But this I do know is that there are certain things in your body that you don't have to think about. Your heart beating is one of them. You don't have to think about it. It just does that. If you had to think about it, there's a lot of us that probably would just drop dead. Breathing is another one. For the most part, you do not have to think about breathing. For the most part. Listen, I've woken up in the middle of the night going, (gasps) breath. Like for some reason, my body just said, nope, it's not going to breathe right now. (laughs) I don't know if I need one of them like, you know, gonzo noses or whatever, but uh, it's not all the time. But, you know, every now and then it's just you wake up. And I don't know if I was like dreaming about drowning or whatever, but you know, you just wake up and you're like, oh, breath, you know, like I've, that breath of air has not felt like better than anything I've ever had in a while. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to think about it because it is just innate in us and God gives us these gifts. They're good gifts. He values the gift. And so he gives us that gift. He gives us the breath of life. He gives us Jesus. And here's the problem is that I think the, the more we become Christian, the more we, we follow Jesus, the more we live our life like that, we kind of take for granted all that he's done for us. And we just, I, I got Jesus. But what does that really mean? What does that really mean to you that you've got Jesus on your side? Does it mean that you can go and do whatever you want? Romans says, no, you can't do that. God's grace isn't just there for you to just go and sin and live that lifestyle, but, but it's a gift, a valued gift of saying, I want to give you, be, a, be close to God. I want to, I want to give you a relationship with God that you couldn't have without me going to the cross and sacrificing. It's a valued gift, but here's the thing. Not only is, was there value in the gift, but there's a reward for the receiver, God gave of himself, gave up Jesus, put him uh, to live here on earth, walked this life just like we did. The Bible says that Jesus was man just like us. So he faced every single thing that we face. All all of the the struggles, all of the the worries, anxieties, all of the depression, all of those moments in life, those uneasy feelings, all the joys, the highs, the lows, the wins, the battles, the struggles. Jesus faced it all. So that when he went to the cross, He could give back to us and go, I know what you're walking through right now. I know what you're going through. I know that struggle you're feeling. I know know the emotions that you're walking through, and I I, want to help you walk through them. I'm going to send my helper, the Holy Spirit, to walk with you. Me and Stephanie, we've always said this. We truly believe this, that, that giving whether it's serving here at church or uh, living your life out as a Christian. Um, But even for God, giving is never a have to, it's always a get to. If you wake up, I have to. Maybe you need to rethink what you have to do. Now listen, (laughs) you have to go to work. For the most part, most of us, that's we have to go to work, right? But isn't there a perspective shift in even going to work if you say, I get to go to work? I get to go and make a difference in these people's lives. I get to make a difference in little kids' lives, even though they may run me up up and down the wall and I may, you know, throw a binder at them, you know, or, or around them or something like that. I don't know. But it's okay because they get to pie you in the face later, right? And it's all worth it. It's all worth it. It was worth it being pied in the face, right? 
They looked a hot mess. If you saw them on Facebook on Friday, they looked a hot mess. Uh, but they had smiles on their faces. Can I tell you that I bet you 10 bucks after that, they, man, I get to go to work. I get to change little lives that maybe would have never had anybody else in their life say that they're valued. And, and, and I could go around the room and literally I, I like doing that. I love, like, I love looking and I, hear, I see your stories. When I'm looking at you, I see your stories. I see what God is doing in your lives that you get to. Change that mindset. I, I have to go to work. Yeah, you have to put food on the table. Yes, you have to pay bills. Those are things that we can't escape until we go see Jesus. But... Can I tell you that there is a value in, in when you say, I get to, it changes even just the slightest things that we do and how we do them. I get to love my wife. Can I tell you that is a big difference than I have to? <laughs> you know, this ring tells me I have to love my wife. <laughs> this ring also says it's not coming off my finger because I broke my knuckle. <laughs> so this ring's got a lot to say. But this ring saying, I have to love my wife, doesn't mean that I have an emotional attachment to where I get to love my wife. This ring can't tell me to find joy in the struggle. This ring can't tell me when me and her are walking through a tough time to say, go, press on, keep going. It's okay. You're going to get through it. And I know people look at pastors and they go, oh, perfect pastor life. Listen, it ain't like that. I never really, I don't share all the details. It's just nobody's business. But I mean, there's been seasons in our life where, where it was really tough. Now, we've always said that divorce is never an option. Six feet deep, maybe, but divorce, no. Uh, but there was a season in my life where, I mean, for two months straight, I never told my wife I loved her. It was like, dang, you're horrible. I know. I know this. And, and really, to make it even worse, it was spiteful. Like, it was intentional. Like, I get to not tell my wife I love her today. It, that's rude. Yes, it's rude. Very rude. But you know why? Because I had allowed the enemy to lie to me about our marriage and about what I was feeling over what God had given me. And it changed my mindset to where, well, I have to be in the marriage. I don't get to be in the marriage. And when we change our mindset and we allow God to give us that heartbeat, that God, you allow me, you, you allow me to be here. You, I get to make a difference. I get to be at this job. I get to be in this marriage. And I'm going to give my all, even when it's tough. And listen, we worked ourselves out. Zion came out of it. It was a great time. So, <laughs> let that catch up with some of y'all. Like, ew. We went, to, we went to Disneyland a few months later, and we found out we were having another kid. We were like... It's okay to not like each other every now and then. Marriage is good. But here's the thing. What if I would have at two months in said, I'm done, I want a divorce? What, what if I would have said, you know what? I don't like the way that you're not treating me, even if it's not unknown, even if it's, if it's not on purpose, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to find somebody who can value me. Now, her response would easily be if she was in this room, you don't understand the word value, obviously. Because we, that was our struggle, is that we 
had different perspectives of what valuing each other looked like. And so we weren't talking about it. We weren't, we were living in this just horribleness and we weren't being grownups and we were saying, I have to be here. I don't want to be here, but I have to. And God says, as long as you do that in any circumstance, you are always going to find the worst parts of that moment. But when you just shift the little perspectives I get to, I get to put in the 12 hour days for my college degree. It doesn't sound like fun, but when you graduate, I had a better perspective of it. And now I get to go into my job with this, with this, this ability to do it. When I go into my relationships with, well, I have to love them because Jesus told me to. Guess what? You're going to find ways to not love them. When you go into marriages and relationships and kid, uh, your kids' relationships, if you have kids, well, I've got to love you. You're not going to invest in them the way that you would if you say, I get to invest in you. God gave us the ability to say, I don't have to, I get to. And when we change our thinking from one to the other, it shifts everything about our lives. What you give up will never be more valuable than what you receive from Jesus. The second thought is this. So God gave. The second one is this, is that love is an action. Love is, and I've said this a lot of times, and and, and, and you, It's just true. It's a verb, right? Because it says that for God so loved that he gave. There was an action that came out of his love. I don't act because I want to get, and and this is, I think, right here, this, this thought process right here is very important because I think this is how we sometimes see Jesus and the acceptance of Jesus, that I have to act a certain way to gain God's love. If I'm good enough, if I don't cuss enough days in a row, if I read my Bible enough times in a row, if I pray these these awesome prayers, God will accept me and love me. Can I tell you that no matter what you do, God loves you? Like he does. Now, his love won't just, you know, willingly just let, you know, people slide. It would be like having kids and you just see them running around with the knife. Well, it's okay. <laughs> what bad could happen from this? You know? Or a fork in the, the, the light socket. <laughs> to only do that once. <laughs> no, as parents, we like, hey, that's a really bad idea. Please don't. <laughs> My kids were running around with a knife. I wouldn't be like, hey, just keep it away from your eyeballs, please. They're kind of important parts of your body. No, I'm going to, you need to stop running first and foremost. Secondly, give me that dang knife. Run with a knife. Not going to happen. Why? Because we love our kids. And so there's an action attached to that love. I've said it this way, and I think it's, it's, it, it, it's always a corny, stupid example. But if I say I love my wife, but then I say, hey, meet my new girlfriend, there's some issues there. How do you love me if, if you're bringing in some, the side chick, that's not love. That's, that's, not, that's not, how do you show God? Like I show God's love by, and, and we talked about this at the marriage uh, life group. Um, me and her, we both hate toilets. Some of you are like, where's this going? We do, it just, we hate, like, who, who, loves to clean, who loves to clean the parts where you poop in? That's just, bleh, bleh. We hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Love is cleaning the toilet. 
It really is. Love is, is doing the dishes because my wife does not like to do the dishes. She does them every now and then, and then, and then I'll come home from work, and I'll just I'll see some dishes, and I'll do them. Right? It, it, love is, I don't have to do it to earn her love. 18 years, there's very little I have to do to earn her love. Wake up, breathe, help pay the bills, make sure the kids don't die. Like, we're good. I do things out of love. And this is the thing about God. I don't have to earn God's love any way, shape, or form. God already loves me. The Bible says that he did this before I even knew him, that before I was even a, uh, a saint, while I was still sinning, God loved me. So because I am loved, I show it through my actions. I love this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 15 in the message translation. It says this, if I acted crazy, I did it for God. Like that describes my life. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. If I acted crazy, I did it because, for God because he has asked me to do things that, that, no, that, that, that it just you wouldn't commonly do in human life. But if I acted serious, I did it for you so that you could hear the cause and the love of Christ. Why? Because Christ's love has moved me to such extremes that his love has the first and last word in everything we do. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Listen, you could fight all life trying to find goodness, you can make all the money in the world to try to find uh, the, the feeling of I've made it, I've succeeded, I've done something. But I'm telling you, all of those feelings come and go. They're like waves. I've never been rich in my life, never would ex- try to even act like I did. But there were seasons in my life where I've had more money than, than other times. Believe it or not, it was mostly when I was young. <laughs> Didn't have kids. Actually, it was when I was in business and, and not in ministry. <laughs> but um, I was working for Olive Garden. I was, I was one of the highest paid uh, managers in my district as far as for my age. I was making, I was 21 years old, making almost $60,000 a year. And uh, like to put this into perspective, had I had stuck with that plan, I'd be making triple, you know, six figures right now. Um, but that wasn't God's plan. And I'm okay with that. I remember because of that, my wife worked at, uh, in retail and, and I worked as a manager and, and we had good money. And yet it was one of the harder parts of my life because I, I, because of my work schedule, I wasn't as connected to my church as I wanted to be. I wasn't as connected to the ministries that I was helping run. I wasn't connected to my wife. There were, there were weeks where I would go all week without seeing my wife because I was working crazy, stupid hours, and I had to drive an hour and a half away to my restaurant. And so that's three hours a day in travel plus 12 hours a day at the restaurant. So 16 hours a day was spent... That, that was my feelings, Ugh. right? And here's, here's the thing. My wife had a normal, normal shift. She worked, you know, eight to four or whatever. But if I was working the night shift, she got up to work. I was still sleeping. Then I would go to work and I'd come home and she was sleeping. And literally we were ships in the night passing in, in bed. <laughs> like I'd crawl into bed and try not to wake her up. And she'd be gone when I woke up. There was weeks where it was like that. Oh, but I had this great money that we couldn't even, my days off were like Wednesday and Thursday while she was Friday or Saturday and Sunday. We couldn't even enjoy the time off. 
I'm telling you, there's a lot of things that we chase and a lot of things that we want. And God says, listen, if you trust in my love and trust in my purpose, if you trust in the resurrection life that I want to give you, it's far better than any life that you could ever live on your own. Jesus looked at people with love. From the woman at the well, the blind and the lame men, the demon-possessed, the lepers, the prostitutes, the priests, sounds like a joke, to the men on the cross and the guards standing there. God looked at all of them with the same love and the same heartbeat. That he loved them and he wanted the best for them. It is the loving kindness of God, not the condemnation and holier-than-thou attitude that leads people to repentance. That's what Romans says. That it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It's not, the, it's not the going in and going, you need to know Jesus, turn or burn, you're going to hell. I have yet to talk to a person when that actually changed their life. How do you like barbecue? Want to become it? You know, like, listen, I've heard it all. Y'all may think like, oh, he's young. Like, listen, I've heard it. I grew up in a, a Pentecostal church when I got saved. I've heard all like the corny, dumb sayings. I've heard all the, you know, the, the just the badness of church. I've heard it. I've, I've lived it. It's not fun. And I understand why people run away. I just heard a, a statistic the other day that right now in America, in church, for every one person that comes to know Jesus, there's four leaving the, uh, the, religion, the religion. One in four. Why? What is the church doing wrong that four people are no longer connected to Jesus and they're going, ah, it's not for me. Can I tell you, it probably has to do with the fact that we're asking them to go through the, the, the religion aspect. We're asking them to go through the motions, but we're not connecting them to a Jesus that loves them, that's powerful, that, love, that wants to see great things done in their life. That when he says the resurrection life is far better than the life that any other person has lived, and the drug addict's going, you know what? I felt this high before, and I felt it better on heroin or on meth or on this or that. And he's going, I, I don't even feel it in the church where I should feel the connection most and I should be powerful and I should feel this overwhelming sense of love. The, the statistics right now are crazy and the only people that can change is us. We are literally the hands and feet and face of Jesus that we get to show the world the difference. You know, not since the 60s has the church been divided racially like this. Since the 60s. They were fighting, literally fighting racism in the 60s. They said that, that in the last uh, six to eight years, we have seen a turn in the church to where it has become that divided again within Sunday morning services. Now, some of that we can change and some of that we can't because we can't change people, but we can help people see Jesus. And it's by love. Love will not let people just get away with things because love will also challenge you, it will equip you, and it will grow you. Once again, I go back to my kids. If I love them, I'm not just going to let them, oh, Dad, I don't want to go to school today. Okay, you don't need it. Who needs a job? Who needs to be smart? No, I love them. And so what does that mean? I'm going to be the dad that goes, you better get your butt up, or I promise you, whatever you're dressed in, I'm going to take you to school looking like that. said that before. I have. I, I, have uh, I have literally picked up kids and walked them out of the house. Like, I'm still bigger than you. Thank God I make mini-me's. Although I think Zion in the next few years may be taller than me. That's a scary thought. I'm going to be dragging him by his ankle. Come on, boy. 
Let's go. Because if I love them, I'm going to challenge them to do maybe what they don't want to do. Oh, when are we ever going to use this? I don't know. I haven't used it either, but you're going to go to school and learn it. <laughs> Teachers are like, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's the truth. If I love you, I can't let you stay here. Love challenges us. It equips us and grows us. And that's what I love about Jesus. He challenges me. Ephesians 5.2, live a life filled with love. Is your love tank empty? It sounds like some of y'all are like, I'm not getting in touch with those feelings. But I'm telling you, everybody has a love tank. Everybody has a tank where they want to give out and they want to, get, and they want to, they want to make a difference in people's lives and, and, and they, want to, they want to give out all that God has been doing in them. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So if he says that we need to follow him, then we need to live like Jesus, and we need to know how Jesus lived. And we need to allow our love to be filled out and, and show the world this example of Christ. I want my Christian life to be one of playing the most epic game of follow the leader. That's what I want my Christian life. I want my life to be like, hey, what'd you do in life? I follow Jesus. I was watching a, a video of Bill Nye and some other dude at the ARC uh, experience in Kentucky. And he asked a great question to Bill Nye, and Bill Nye could not answer the question. Um, he, said, he said, what is the point of all this if at the end of the day we just die? There's nothing. He just looked at Bill Nye, and I loved it. He was like, I don't care who you are. I don't care how many little children you taught in PBS you know, uh, shows. If at the, Because this is Bill Nye's point. He says that at the end of the day, you just die. You just die. It's, it is what it is. He said, if that's the purpose, then why, why should I even care about saving this earth? Why should I care about the, the economy? Why should I care about going green? If I die, why, shouldn't the only purpose of life just to be to get mine and have fun? He said, but what if there's more to it? What if there's purpose? That I, I, that I want to live the next group something greater and it's found in Jesus. That yes, taking care of the economy is valuable because I want to financially set up my kids to be able to make the difference for the gospel in the next generation. I want to I want to change the, the world and, and be greener. I want to take care of the earth because I want my kids and my grandkids and my grandkids' grandkids to have a place where they are, are loving the, the earth that God has given us. I'm playing the most epic game of follow the leader. And the last thing is this. Living is a choice. Living is a choice. I, I love what the music Hamilton said, where George Washington looks at Hamilton and says, dying is easy, son. Living is harder. I love that line. Because the whole purpose, the whole, this whole mindset of Alexander Hamilton was, I want to make a difference. And so if that means dying as a martyr, then I'll do it. And Washington looks at him and is like, no, son, you got it backwards. Dying is easy. It's living that's harder. Because living, you have to wake up every day consciously and say, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to choose something that's going to be and, and give and impart to somebody else. I'm going I'm to live in such a way that people see the love of Jesus and want to live like that. The last scripture I want to give you this morning is Deuteronomy 30, 19. It's one of my favorites because it lays the, it, listen, it lays it squarely on your, your hands. Today, 
today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Let me, let me break it down this way. Sky, the choices you make right now are, 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 are choices that your unknown kids will benefit from, life or death. <laughs> now, with that in mind, think about your life. Five years from now, who do you want to be? Start to make the choices that breathe life into them. I hope I can retire one day. Then make the choice to stop drinking the $5 coffee drink. <gasps> How dare you? You're speaking death to me, Pastor Scott. Okay. Now listen, I'm not a big, I'm not, a, I'm not an all-in Dave Ramsey fan, but he does some, say some things that make sense. And one of the things that he says is sometimes you got to live different today so that you can live different than anybody else later. Now listen, I'm not all about cutting up all the credit cards and, and all of that mess, and, and I can get into that financial stuff later, but, but there, listen, maybe you got to live different today than everybody else is so that you can live differently later. That if I'm going to be spiritually growing and spiritually battling in my life, then I've got to make those decisions now to be somebody that I want to be proud of in the future. Man, you know what? I, I don't want to just, this is what happens. You go to church, you hit about 18, you run away. And then you go to college and you get doing your own life and you're doing your own thing. And then you get kids and you start to have families. You go, I want my kids to know Jesus. Got to send them to Sunday school. So you go to church at an obligation instead of a heart to want to love Jesus. And so just so you can get your kids kind of like, ah, you know, Jesus is cool. Right. And what happens is, is that if it's not something that is really in you, everything else about you, they'll see. How can we go to church, but you still act like this? <laughs> How can we go to church, but you still say these things? And I'm not judging you, and I'm not condemning you, but I'm saying that if there's Jesus in you, then there's going to be less of that and more of Jesus. Because love grows up. Love challenges us. Love equips us. You put before you life and death, and you have to choose not just life for today, but the life that you're choosing today is going to change your future, and it's going to change things that you could ever, never dream or imagine. Listen, I would not know Stephanie if it wasn't for Jesus. Like That's just flat out, like, I mean, literally would not know her if I did not go to church. That's where we met. And if it wasn't for Jesus doing a work in her and a work in me, we would have never been this. Because I didn't mark the boxes. The checks did not, were not there. I'm not tall enough. <laughs> Some of you, listen, guys, we don't think about that kind of stuff, right? We're just like, but girls, it's like, they got to be taller than me. Like, I eat that one out barely. <sighs> On a good day when she's wearing heels, we're about the same height. But Jesus was doing a work in her, and guess what? He was planning our future in the moments where we weren't even really thinking about that. And at 16 years old, when we did not have feelings for, her, for each other, and we both felt it in our sp spirit, we're going to marry that person. And it wasn't just some stalkerish thing on my side. She told me the same thing, okay? Just letting you know, okay? It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to marry that girl. Like, <laughs> she told me that first. I want, I want you to, I'm bearing witness, my wife told me that before I told her that. 
I would, I would have never had that kind of courage. <laughs> Choose life. Choose life in your work relationships. Choose life at your work. Choose life in your friend groups. That it would pass on to the descendants. Remember last week, Philippians 4, it said to think on these things, right? Whatever is honorable, what is lovely, whatever is noble. When we do that, we change our mindset to live and to choose life. You have the capability to change your thought process, to change your emotional health, to change your spiritual disciplines, and the world around you all by choosing life. I'm going to speak life. When I want to be negative, I'm going to speak life. When I have that bad thought, I'm going to change it. I'm going to insert scripture or a worship song. I'm going to choose life. Choose life in the arguments. <laughs> Looking at all the couples in the arguments, not after the arguments. Rodney, you're going to choose life. What, what, what if in the middle he's like, ah. Oh. This is why the people in the back sit in the back. Because they're like, ah. Oh. Because listen, but we're all there. Instead of wanting to say those things to our, our significant others or our wives or our husbands, or the, instead of going, oh, well, God will forgive me later for what I'm about to say to Deanne. That we say stop and we go, you know what? This is not benefiting life in our marriage and let's pray about it. Choose life. Choose life in the relationships. Choose life in the finances. Put God over your finances. God, I give you my finances. And when he says, hey, how about we do this? Oh, God, you're always just trying to suck the fun out of things. No, I'm just trying to make sure that you have fun when you're older too. I'm trying to help you set up for a savings account and a checkings account. I'm trying to help you see that your finances were mine in the first place, and so you don't really own them. You're just being asked to be a good steward of them. Your money is not your money. You're a steward of it. That's why the Bible says it's easier to live off of 90% than 100%. Because when we try to do 100%, we're trying to say, I'm the God of my money, not the God is the God of my money. That's why we believe and we practice tithing, not because I need anything. No, listen, the church needs to be a difference maker in our community. Guess what that takes? Finances. And it's, and it's bigger than just the lights being on, and it's bigger than whether we get to pay our energy bill or our electric bill or our gas bill. or All, all of that is a part of the puzzle. But it's also the times when I get to say, hey, guess what? We just gave $500 to somebody to go make a difference in uh, Africa, which we did. Or when we get to say, hey, listen, we're partnering with Juvenet, who makes a difference in 13 different countries in Latin America for the cause of Christ. Or, hey, we're going to do a serve event where we're going to make a difference for people here in our own community. That's what biblical finances do. But it only happens when people have a biblical mindset over their finances. Choose life in them. Choose life in your kids. Don't wait for them to grow up and try to tell them about Jesus. You need to tell them when they're young. Choose life at work. John 10, 10, it's not a scripture up there, but it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Christ came to give you life, not just life. Here's what I love. Here's what I love about Jesus. He just didn't come to give you life. Like, ah, eh, have some good times every now and then. He says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. In certain translations, it says to give you life and to give you more life. <laughs> Jesus did not ask you to come and just be, a, you know, oh, I guess I'll follow Jesus. 
when's this dude going to stop talking? How come they never play my worship music? <sighs> me, me, me. I think I have one other thing on my notes that I need to tell you. So I'll bring it down here with me. I had this really, just, just want to sit here and talk with you for a minute as we end. Ooh, I almost made my notes go away. William Wallace said this. We don't know if he actually said this, but in Braveheart he said this. <laughs> says, every man dies, but not every man really lives. And I think the problem is, is that we come to church and we, we, we hope so badly for life change, but we're not willing to really step into it because we're afraid. What if I put myself out there, but then Jesus doesn't come through? What if you don't put yourself out there and Jesus is waiting to come through? Because that's, that's what I've found most times and not. Like, Jesus is just waiting. Like, I'm here. I'm, here. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to make that step of faith that, that you will say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. Like, I, I know I'm going to be a mistake. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my bad days, but I, I'm all in. I've tried my way. I've handled finances my way. I've handled relationships my way. I've done work my way. And guess what? I've had my good days, but more than time, I've had my bad days. I've, ch- I've questioned myself. I've had depression. I've had anxiety. I've always questioned if I have a purpose. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, I could have done more. I guess that's what it really boils down to. As a believer, I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, man, there was more on the table that, that I had, but I was afraid to step out and do it. Some of you go, this is where you start to call us into missionary work, right? No, yes, no, yes. Yes, well, let me split this. No, I'm not asking you to go to Guatemala. It's really a fun place to go, though. I'm not asking you to go to, to places like Africa, I'm asking you to go to Camden. Newsflash, we're already here. So let's do something with the time that we've got. I don't want us to get to the end of our life and go, man, I didn't live. I could have done more. I left, I left things on the table for God that I wish I wouldn't have. I could have helped more people as a nurse. See, the problem with knowing me is that I know you too. I'm going to challenge you. You teachers, you have a tough job. I ain't going to lie. And I know some of you have already started questioning, like, is next year the next year? But you know what? Getting to talk with you guys, and, and there's no greater joy than to watch. All it takes is one good day to change your whole aspect of it. Parents, we all have little brats. Let's just be real. But we love them. They're ours. And we haven't just been given them to shape their little minds. More importantly, we've been given them to shape their spirits. To show them what Jesus looks like. I want to get to the end of my life. I want to know that I've lived. Will you pray with me? I want to know that I've gotten to the end of my life and I've lived. And maybe you're sitting there and um, as we enter this Easter season, 
as we focus these next five weeks on Jesus, that maybe he would challenge you in some areas of your life. Maybe you've got like 85% of your life rocking and rolling with Jesus, and there's that 15% that you've just been holding on to. God, I don't know if I can give you this. I don't know if I can give you this emotional side of me because it's all I've got that I get to control. And he's like, yeah, but I can promise you that if you give it to me, I'm going to, your emotions are going to be more in line with my spirit. I don't want to be a better husband, a better wife, better father, better mother, but I, I just, I have control issues. I have anger issues. I have fill in the blank and God's going, if you would just give me control, we'll walk this out. Spend some time with me every day. Maybe you need to find a devotion that has specifically about your topic. There are devotions through the YouVersion app, through Bible Gateway, through Blue Letter Bible, all different ones out there. And all you have to do is put in a topic and it'll give you a devotion and help you focus in on it. Finances, work, relationships, addictions. God wants to free you from all of that. But it starts with trusting him. It starts with loving him and living that love out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that me and you could have eternal life and life abundantly. Jesus, I pray for us today that Jesus, that you would fill our lives with that abundant life, but it's a choice we got to make. So today, God, you are laying before us life and death, blessings and cursings, and I pray that today we would walk out in life, walk out in blessings, that we would walk out saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to draw close to Jesus. I'm going to spend a little more time. I'm going to think a little negative, less negatively. I'm going to speak life to people. I'm going to listen to, to those worship songs and let them be a part of my spirit. I'm going to uh, be humble and kind and give grace and mercy when, when all I want to do is, is, is just chew somebody out. God, help us in those areas that, that your love makes us more perfect. Jesus, I pray that over us today that we would go out this week and we would make Camden better because we know you and we want them to know you. Speak to us, move in us, create miracles in our own life that as we draw closer, we would start to see the hand of God move in a mighty way. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And in your precious son's name, we all pray, amen. Amen. 